Well, this morning what I want to do is uh, we're going to get back into the book of Acts. We've been through the first um, uh, seven chapters, touched on eight a little bit. We've finished kind of the uh, Jerusalem uh, part of the book. And so we're going to start kind of a a new kind of a mid uh, summer series on the middle part of Acts, which really is going to take us through um, the the, uh, Sumerian uh, Judean ministry, as well as uh, moving towards the outer parts of the world. Uh, But we're going to stop then and we'll take a break before we pick up with Paul's missionary journeys uh, in the fall. Uh, but, you know, we are talking here about how context is so important. And, and one of the keys about reading and understanding the book of Acts is uh, uh, understanding the context. The, the context of what was said then, what it meant to them, uh, what it means to us, uh, what things in this book are historical, what things are uh, normative and theological. In other words, what are the things that happened specifically then around a certain situation uh, but aren't necessarily normative in that they, they happen that way every single time? But then what are the things that happen uh, uh, every single way, at the same time, the same way, all that kind of stuff throughout history? Uh, A teacher one time learned the importance of context. She asked uh, little Johnny, she said, Now, Johnny, if I gave you two cats, and I gave you two more cats, and I gave you two more cats, how many cats would you have? Johnny said, Seven. Teacher said, No, Johnny, that's, that's not correct. Listen carefully. If I gave you two cats, and I gave you two more cats, and I gave you two more cats... How many cats would you have? He said, seven. She said, no, that's just not right. Listen to me. Watch my hands. If I gave you two cats, and I gave you two more cats, and I gave you two more cats, how many cats would you have? Johnny was getting frustrated. He said, seven. She said, no, let me, let me try something different. If I gave you two apples, and I gave you two more apples, and I gave you two more apples, how many apples would you have? He said, six. She said, Johnny, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you have seven cats? He said, I've already got one. You see, the context was very important. Uh, The teacher didn't understand uh, Johnny's context, and he was exactly right that he had seven cats if she gave him two and two and two. Uh, So that's kind of important as we read through this. Uh, This morning what I want to do is kind of just uh, do a review. I know that uh, our church has got a lot of new people uh, that have not been coming since the 1st of January. I want to kind of hit the highlights Uh, of the first seven chapters and really pull out some things that I think are really important for us to understand and to realize about the first part of the book of Acts before we move on. Uh, So let's just do a little review today. And uh, that doesn't mean if you've been here every week prior, you can take a nap. Uh, These are the things I want us to go away from. You're not going to remember every single concept, every single word that you ever hear in church. I understand that. But there are some things that by repetition we can uh, grasp we can put them into our memory banks and really understand. And so today I want to talk about the Jerusalem Review. And the first thing I want us to remember is this. Uh, the book of Acts is actually the continuation of Jesus' ministry and teaching. Now when you hear that, you go, what are you talking about? Jesus is gone for most of the book of Acts. He, he leaves the scene in chapter 1. How is this the continuation of his ministry and teaching? Look what it says in Acts 1.1. And remember, uh, the writer of this book is Luke. Dr. Luke, he says this, In the first book, the book of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So I want you to see that Luke saw this as a continuation. He didn't see this as, uh, uh, you know, here's Jesus' ministry is now over, and now it's time for us to do our thing. He didn't see it that way. He said, listen, uh, the first book, the the Gospel of Luke, uh, that was uh, how Jesus' ministry began. 
These are the things that he taught and the things that he said that began his ministry. Now his ministry is going to continue, but it's going to be different. It's not going to continue with him bodily, but we're going to see here in just a minute that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to continue his ministry. But do not forget, never forget that this is still his ministry. Okay? This is still about Jesus. The church is here uh, uh, being led by Jesus, being filled by Jesus, being Jesus' representatives to the world, but it is still Jesus' ministry. It is never our ministry. It is never our church. It is never our, our deal at all. It is all about Jesus. And so as we talk about our church, as we think about our church, and I, I know, guys, you know, don't freak out about, hey, hey, I tell somebody, I, you know, come over and come with me to my church. Uh, it's not wrong to say that or bad to say that, but I want us to be thinking in terms of, of this is not my church. This is not your church. It's his church. He lets us come here, and he lets us worship him here. He lets us participate here, but it's still all about him. Luke saw that. Luke understood that. We need to understand that also. The next thing I want you to remember is that Jesus ascended to the Father. Look what it says in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This is Jesus speaking. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. We see here that Jesus ascended to the Father. Uh, Jesus uh, went bodily, in the bodily form, in his resurrected body. He left the earth, uh, went through the clouds, and of course we saw uh, in that passage that the disciples kind of stood around looking there for a while uh, until a couple of angels showed up and told him to get back to Jerusalem like he had told them. Uh, He's going to come back someday like that, but not right now. And so it's important for us to understand, you know, where is Jesus today? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is, uh, uh, um, you know, ministering, in a sense, to us through the Father. He's, he's our representative to the Father. He's our, he's our go-to guy to get to the Father. Uh, when we think about Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father but by me, it's because he's sitting right at the right hand of the Father. Nobody gets an audience with the Father except through Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us to remember where Jesus is and what he's doing. Third, I want you to remember that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to indwell the disciples. Now remember, there's a little bit of a change here in the wording. Uh, In some of the Gospels, the word disciple is used for the 12, the 12 apostles. But here in the book of Acts, very specifically, right away, uh, the word apostle is being used for the apostles, and the word disciple is being used almost entirely for all of those who were following Jesus at the time. So Jesus sent the Holy Spirit not just to the apostles. It's not just for the church leadership, but it's for all those following him. Look what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, if you ask me the question, do we believe it happened exactly like that? The answer is yes, I do. The Bible says it did. It happened just like that. We don't have any record of it happening like that ever again. There is no uh, uh, historical record. There is no uh, recording in the Bible uh, where uh, uh, when a group of people receive the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the rushing wind comes in like, and this, this, 
this uh, picture that it's drawing is, is thought I was going to hear it last night after the sirens went off, uh, the rushing wind. And I thought to myself, I, my, I was still up studying, and I, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to know whether it's the Holy Spirit or a tornado, but I'm going to take shelter just in case. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's, it's kind of a sound like a tornado. It's a rushing wind. And, and then tongues of fire landed on each one of them, and they all began to speak in tongues. That happened just like that, folks. We need to be careful that we don't say, well, because that wasn't my experience, I don't believe that happened. It did happen. It happened exactly like that. But there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that this is the experience that every single person is going to have every single time they receive the Holy Spirit. Every time they give their lives to Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, this is not the experience they're going to have. And so uh, it's important that we understand that. Uh, but we do see here that the Holy Spirit was sent to the, uh, to the disciples and for the specific purpose of having them do the ministry. Uh, in our humanness, we cannot do ministry of eternal value by ourselves. The only reason that this is a continuation of Jesus' ministry is because when we give our lives to him, his spirit comes and lives within us. It, it's, it's the continuation of his ministry because we do it by his power, by his filling. That's why it's the continuation of his ministry. It's important that we understand that. And then the Holy, so the Holy Spirit was sent uh, to not just, uh, uh, you know, do something miraculous and cool. Uh, God's not about, you know, being cool, although he is very cool, okay? Uh, but that's not what he's about. He's about, uh, you know, <laughs> moving the hearts of men. But this gave the disciples uh, the understanding that God was with them gave them the understanding that God was now not just around them, he's in them. And it gave them power uh, to do the ministry, which he gives to us today, power for us to do the ministry. We also saw in the first half or the first third of, of Acts that thousands were coming to faith. I want to show you three passages just really quickly. Acts 2.41, So those who were received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a good worship service right there. Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And what that means, that day by day, in the original Greek, it means day by day. It means every day people were getting saved. Every day people were coming to know Christ because of what the church was living like. And in Acts 4.4 it says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, I share that with you folks because uh, uh, in religious circles sometimes, uh, people think that it's hyper-spiritual or, or self-serving or in some way to talk about numbers. Jesus talks about, God talks about numbers. Numbers are important to God because there are eternal souls connected to them. I will keep saying that. I know some of you who have been with us a long time said, Michael, you've said that a thousand times. I'm going to say it 2,000 times. I'm going to say it 5,000 times. I'm going to say it 10,000 times. Numbers are important because for each number, there is a person's eternal soul at stake. We had a dinner here Friday night. We hosted a dinner for bivocational pastors in Clay and Platt, uh, the Clay and Platt Baptist Association, all the, all the bivocational pastors, all the pastors that work 40 hours or more at a regular job, and then they try to pastor a church also. And we talked about the job ahead of us that there are still 220,000 lost people in Clay and Platt counties. 220,000 people who have not yet given their lives to Jesus Christ. That is a daunting task, but one God can help us uh, achieve. But folks, we have to be concerned about numbers because they are people's lives. 
I, 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 man, I, I beg God, beg God for the day when we can say we had a picnic at Smithville Lake and 3,000 souls were saved. Wow! You know? Uh, somebody, uh, well, people ask me occasionally, hey, uh, is there anything in the Bible that says only pastors can baptize people? There's not. Why do the pastors here baptize people? Because unfortunately, we baptize them one at a time, two at a time, three at a time. I look forward to the day that all of you got to get in the lake and be baptizing people because we've got 3,000 people standing on the, on, the, on the shore waiting to get in the water to be baptized. Now, you, you think that may not happen. But as we were talking to uh, uh, Jordan Nisley, missionary in the Philippines that we're going to partner with, and, and we're going to go to the Philippines in, in Metro Manila in March, was talking to him, and he showed us a couple of videos of church plants there. Uh, a church plant had 250 people on their first day, and 136 came to receive Christ as their Savior. Look, folks, that's not, that's not some, you know, storybook stuff. That stuff happens. It happens. It has happened. And I beg for God to make it happen here. But thousands there were coming to faith quickly. We also see there the church began functioning as it should. What does that mean? Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The church was functioning as it should function. Praying, having fellowship, worshiping. When it says they were an all in awe of what God was doing, they were worshiping him. Okay? When, when we see what the uh, uh, church was doing in that second chapter of Acts, it should be a, a goal for us. We should be acting like that. We should be uh, uh, doing those things. We should be making sure that nobody in our congregation goes in need. Now, I understand that need to these folks and need to us is different. Uh, but we should take care of one another. We should take care of one another. We should pray for one another. We should encourage one another. Uh, we should be uh, the family to one another that we all need. But the church was functioning as it should. The sixth thing we saw was that wonders and signs were being done. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, and there were several times uh, throughout these first eight chapters, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. We see that wonders and signs were being done. We saw uh, many that were being healed. And, and I remember kind of freaking you all out that one day when I uh, shared what the guy did in the temple when he was dancing and leaping. I won't do that again and scare you. But, uh, uh, you know, many mir- miraculous things were being done. Now, I know some of us go, well, wait a minute, context. Uh, we have the same Holy Spirit in us. We, we are the church just like that. Why are those things not being done at the same rate and the same way today that they are then? Remember that these guys didn't have a New Testament. They were living the New Testament. <laughs> they were writing the New Testament. Uh, uh, they were participating in the New Testament. They didn't have it. 
And so none of them could get up in, 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 in the uh, uh, temple and say, all right, uh, Jews, let's turn to uh, uh, 1 Peter 3 and let's talk about... You know, they couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. And so how did God get the attention of people? Remember, context is important. To walk into a city and say, hey, let me tell you about my friend Jesus, who not only rose from the dead... He made other people raised from the dead, and he did these incredible things, and he fed 5,000 people uh, with two fish and five loaves of bread. And let me tell you all these, and they started telling me those things. People are like, you're out of your mind. You, you are crazy. Nobody can do those things. That's, that's ridiculous. But as soon as Peter says to a guy who's been lame from his birth, hey, I don't have any gold or silver to give to you, but what I do have I'll give to you. Get up and walk. And the man stands and he walks for the first time in his life. And everybody around there who knows this guy sees it. All of a sudden they say, uh, now what was that you were saying about your friend uh, uh, Jesus, Peter? What, what was that again? Uh, all of a sudden now I've got better ears to hear. Uh, because what I saw you just do, that got my attention. Okay? We do have the New Testament today. I'm not saying God doesn't do or won't do those things today, but they happen less frequently because God has written his word down. In our society, in our culture, anybody who wants to know God can do it. All you got to do is go to the Lifeway store, pay 20 bucks for a Bible, and go home and read it. And they have total and complete access to who Jesus is. Now, they may not know to do that. That's why we're here to tell them. But access to God and understanding him is very prevalent in our society. It wasn't then. And so God did these things to get the attention of those uh, who were speaking on his behalf. We also saw that as persecution increased, boldness to preach increased. You would think it would be the opposite, but in fact it is not. Look what it says in Acts chapter 5, starting with verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered this way, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And so as persecution increased, as uh, uh, arrests uh, got more, as persecution and beatings took place more and more often, the disciples, it says in several places in the first six chapters, seven chapters of Acts, that they got bolder. They didn't cower down. They didn't say, oh, I got a black eye. I can't preach anymore. They said, look, we, tell us whatever you want to tell us. But at the end of the day, we are here to please God, not you. How would our lives be radically changed if we lived that way? No fear. No fear of retribution, of embarrassment, of persecution but simply said in our minds and our hearts and lived it out, I must do what God says, not what men say. These men had no fear. They'd seen their friend Jesus overcome death. What are you going to threaten them with? <laughs> if you don't quit preaching, we're going to kill you. Okay. 
my friend Jesus overcome death, overcame death. I, kill me. I don't care. I mean, that's kind of how they lived. I mean, they weren't quite that sarcastic about it, maybe, but, but that's, that's how they lived, right? That's how they lived. We could take a good lesson from that. As persecution increased, boldness to preach increased. I pray, I pray that as the Christian church in America begins to experience persecution like the church is experiencing around the world, we don't cower down, but we become bolder about the Word of God. We also saw that seven men were chosen to serve in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 6. And we saw that some widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the elders came up with this plan. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And that laying on of hands uh, was, was an act, uh, a symbolic act, kind of like what we did right here, saying we are setting these men aside for a specific work. We are setting them aside uh, from, from all their other duties, and, and, and not only doesn't mean they don't have all those other duties, besides all of their other duties, we are setting these men aside to make sure, to make sure that these ladies don't go without food. Now we'll see later that they are the first deacons, didn't call them that then, but they were chosen to serve the body and to protect the unity. And they did just that. And remember, when we talked about this, it wasn't that the apostles said, hey, it's not important for, for these widows to eat. They'll get over it. They didn't say that. What they said was, look, this is important. This is important enough. This is important enough for us to set some guys aside to do this. But we can't do it because we have something even more important than food. It's our responsibility to preach the word and to pray. We cannot set that aside for some administrative duty. Now, pastors have got to be careful. We have a thousand things on our plate. I know you guys think uh, uh, we just work two hours a week when we come here and, and preach, uh, but, but we, we have many duties you know, during the week. We have to be careful that we don't get so many administrative things and, and, and things that take away our time that we lose track of doing the things that are of most importance, of the highest value. And that's ministering the word, preaching the word, and praying. We see that, unfortunately, this uh, first man that was chosen to serve the body, we saw a great sermon by him, and then Stephen was martyred for his faith. He was the first martyr. Let's see what the scripture said happened. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. He had just got through preaching, by the way, a fantastic sermon. And they ground their teeth at him. They were so angry. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing, guess where? At the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, 
receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Stephen was martyred for his faith. Folks, men and women who are followers of Christ are being martyred all around this world. We are so protected in this American bubble. Uh, We've got to get a, a global view of Christianity. Men and women are dying today. Men and women will die simply because they're followers of Jesus. We need to pray for them. We need to do what we can to encourage them if we can minister to them in some way. And we need to stand with them, ready to suffer persecution like this. The last kind of big thing we saw was that persecution scattered the disciples throughout Judea and Samaria. This is where we're going to kind of pick it up here uh, next week. In Acts 8.1, by the way, it's interesting, isn't it, that Acts 1.8, remember, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And here in Acts 8.1, it says, and Saul approved of his execution. Speaking about Uh, 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 Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the twelve apostles stayed there in Jerusalem, but all the other disciples, all the other ones following Jesus, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Jesus told them, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. Now, they were all still hanging out in Jerusalem. They were all still kind of doing the holy huddle thing in Jerusalem. So God allowed this persecution to come and scatter them throughout Judea and Samaria. And we see now that the church is beginning to to move. It's beginning to spread out. It's not going to be this little thing that just happens in Jerusalem. And if anybody uh, ever wants to know who Jesus is, they've got to travel to Jerusalem to figure it out. No, no, it's spreading now. It's spreading. And so those are kind of the highlights Uh, Keep those in your mind as we move forward because many of those are going to come back in as we talk about things here in the future. But I want to share with you some of the, uh, as we we do these kind of preview, review times, um, I want to share with you uh, an important thing that you need to remember. Ten weeks from now, if I asked you, what are the three ways that the church grows, you should be able to answer that. I'm going to share with you the answer in just a minute. There are three ways that the church grows. There are growth reports throughout the book of Acts. And every single one of us should know them because these are the three ways that we should constantly, constantly, constantly uh, be uh, looking at our church saying, are we growing? Just because we have more people in this building doesn't mean we're necessarily growing in a biblical fashion. So I want to share with you very briefly these three ways. (coughs) We see these growth reports happening in the book of Acts, and the first one is numerical growth. We talked about it a little bit. But Acts 2.41 again says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That doesn't mean more people coming to this church. That means more people who are following Jesus and are a part of the church. Okay? We should constantly be looking and saying, is our church numerically growing? Are people getting saved? Are people getting baptized and becoming a part of the family of God through this ministry? So the first way that churches grow are numerically. The second way is spiritual growth. 
Now, this is a little bit tougher to see. It's a little bit tougher to measure. I mean, you can measure, hey, 3,000 people got in the water and 3,000 people got baptized and they got out of the water. That's pretty easy to, to, to count. How do you count spiritual growth? It's very interesting. Acts 6-7 says this. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We're going to see not only here, but in Acts 12, in Acts 18, uh, we're going to see these specific reports of how the word of God increased. (coughs) Now, when you first hear that, you go, wait a minute, the truth of God has been the truth of God forever. How does it increase? How, how can the truth of God, the word of God, how does, it, how does it get more? Or how does it increase? Well, there's two ways. One is when more people accept it. And we, as we see here, uh, the, 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 the truth of God, the word of God increases. Because now it not only influences my life, but it influences my friend's life who I just led to Christ. So the word of God is increasing. But also our own personal spiritual growth. The word of God, uh, you know, I've been a Christian now for... Oh my goodness, that can't be right. Uh, I've been a Christian now for 40 years. And, and the word of God, I promise you, is deeper and stronger and more in my life today than it was 40 years ago. Now, I was still a follower of Jesus. I still loved him. I was still going to heaven. I'd already given my life to him. Uh, but the word of God has grown in my life. It has increased in my life. Not only just the knowledge of it, but the, the application of it the followership of it, the discipleship of it. I I, I am a better Christian now than I was 40 years ago. And so the word of God has increased. So uh, spiritual growth is a key way uh, that the church grows. The last way is geographical growth. We saw right there in Acts 8.1. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Over the next 12 weeks, we're going to see that those people in Judea and Samaria had a great impact on the the world. The kingdom of God is now spreading to Judea and Samaria. And when the the word of God spreads geographically, uh, it has more impact on the world. And so as we uh, talk, as we go through uh, this process, uh, everybody should know there are three ways the church grows. The church grows numerically, it grows spiritually, and it grows geographically. Those are the only three ways that the church grows. Healthy bodies grow, sick bodies die. And so if our church is healthy, we will grow in these three areas. Now, does that mean we, we buy the neighbor's land geographically? We, we uh, buy all these properties? That doesn't mean that. It means that we, we spread God in different geographical ways. When we participate in ministries that are outside of our church, we grow geographically. When we go and we have influence and impact in the Philippines, our church, in a sense, is growing geographically. Now, those people don't have uh, no witness of Christ, but if you go there with a team of people and you get the opportunity to lead two or three students to Christ, you have now spread the gospel geographically. And so always remember, folks, Three ways that the church grows, numerically, spiritually, and geographically. I hope this helped kind of uh, bring to mind the things that we talked about in these first uh, 12, 13 weeks uh, as, as uh, community groups. I think this is the last week to sign up, uh, so be sure you sign up for a community group out in the foyer before you leave. Uh, we're going to pick up next week and talking about these uh, sermons in your community groups and uh, kind of what applies to us, what may not. 
uh, and how we see uh, this uh, ministry that takes place in Judea and Samaria to be a great model for us. And then we'll pick up with Paul's missionary journeys, which is an incredible geographic growth of the kingdom of God uh, later in the fall. (sighs) And I know you're all thinking right now, why do we have to go through 12 weeks of that? You could have done this in one week. No, it was much better to go through it and talk about a lot more details through that time. By the way, if you miss any of those sermons, they are on our website at www.fogkc.com. And with our new website, they are easier and and better to, to connect with and listen to than they ever have been. And so that's an opportunity for you to listen to what you missed.